This episode is brought to you by GovX, and as you know, I only have companies on here that I truly use and believe in myself, and GovX is a complete no-brainer. If you are a member of fire, police, EMS, corrections, military, and even hospital setting doctors and nurses, you qualify for the free membership to GovX, which marries us with discounts from so many companies that you probably already use. And on top of that, it's not just for active duty, but also retirees, veterans, and volunteers. So for our professions, having to purchase so much of our equipment, every single dollar counts. And understanding that, GovX has reached out to you, the Behind the Shield podcast audience, to offer you an additional saving. On your first purchase of $50 or more, if you use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, they will give you an additional $15 off your first purchase. And another layer of GovX is GovX Gives Back. Every month they're going to sell a different patch and the proceeds from that patch goes to a charity that supports either first responders or military. So as I mentioned before, go to GovX.com, G-O-V-X.com, register for your free membership and save every single time you purchase. This episode is sponsored by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for around 14 years now and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience, a 15% discount, not on one purchase, but continuously. And I'll give you that code in just a moment. But I want to do a product showcase on their new Atlas sneakers and boots. So I'm a big believer in the fact that footwear can either improve our health or break down our health. And the Atlas sneaker actually has a new foam system that disperses the body weight, whether just the body weight, whether it's a, a vest and a gun, whether it's EMS bags being carried. And on top of that, they're lightweight, despite having the same protection that's required in the tactical space. So I have a pair of Atlas sneakers myself, and I can attest they're extremely comfortable. On top of footwear, of course, 511 offers a gamut of uniforms and equipment, whether it's plate carriers, backpacks, flashlights, you name it, they have it. All you have to do is go to 511tactical.com and use the code SHIELD15. That's S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5 at 511tactical.com and you will save every time you purchase. And to learn more about the company 511 Tactical, you can listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 412 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute pleasure to welcome on the show Pete Saunders. Now, Pete is a veteran a firefighter, and both works and lives on the island of Guernsey. And a very little known fact is that Guernsey actually stopped COVID on their island back in June. So they have been back to completely normal in June. Ironically, the day that we did the interview, they had a few cases emerge again. So they are actually locking down once again. But there is so much to learn from what they did. There was some very progressive uh, leadership and pre-planning there was some great community elements to everyone banding together. And then after that, they experienced eight months of not being in any way, shape or form in isolation or mask wearing or anything. So we keep getting told the worst case scenarios of doom and gloom. I wanted to bring you an inspiring, optimistic story of an island that's done it well and something for us to look toward. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating elevates this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return 
is that you help share these incredible stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Pete Saunders. Enjoy. Pete, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the Behind the Shield podcast today. No worries, mate. I'm glad to do it. Beautiful. Well, you reached out with a, a pretty interesting story that I think the literally the entire world needs to hear. And it's, it's, a, it's a story of optimism, even though today we had some, uh, some news that set it back ever so slightly. But uh, we'll obviously, we'll get into that as we progress. Um, so to start very beginning, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Uh, so I'm in... A place called Guernsey in the Channel Islands. And for people listening, where exactly is that? Uh, so it's we're a really small island, so we're twenty-five square miles, um, four across, nine up and down, uh, and we are in the English Channel. Uh, we're closer to France than we are to the United Kingdom, uh, and we're technically not part of the United Kingdom. We're what you call a crown dependency, so we're kind of we're kind of governed by the UK, but we've got our own. We have our own government, we have our own policies, and we govern ourselves. We just uh, lean on the UK for certain bits and pieces. All right. So, so UK can just make suggestions, and you decide if you want to take them or not. Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the laws that we have are quite old and antiquated, but that's just because of the way that it works. But beautiful. All right. Well, then I like to start at the very beginning. So, you personally, tell me where you were born. And then your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings? Uh, so I was born here. Um, I'll probably get on to living here and stuff later because it can be quite complicated. Um, yeah, I was born here. Uh, so my mum and dad, uh, so my mum worked in finance, which is what a lot of people in Guernsey do. Uh, and my dad was a telecommunications engineer. Uh, and I had one younger brother who's three years younger than me. Uh, so we were, uh, we were, brought up together um mum and dad divorced when i was it was just before my 13th birthday i think but it was all extremely amicable um and uh, my mum and dad are still really good friends uh so my dad's gone to um he's remarried and so is my mum she's she's also remarried but uh so my mum is the godmother to my half sisters so i've got two half sisters from the other marriage but we all get on really really well um so and it's actually quite nice. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much family dynamic wise. Uh, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it, family wise. Beautiful. And you said you said had a brother. It was, did he pass he, away or you? No, 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 no. Okay. Have a brother. Definitely still have a brother. Okay, just yeah. just no, making no, no, sure no, there wasn't some. Sorry, you know. No, no, no. Yeah, that's uh, it's all good. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's all, he's all very much very well. So that's good news. <laughs> Okay, so then um, obviously we're going to talk about your journey into the military and the fire service. So when you were young, were you a, a, a fan of sports? Did you do a lot of athletics? Uh, yeah, played a lot of, uh, I played a lot of hockey, uh, as in field hockey, not ice hockey for your American guys. Um, I, played that at, I played that at island level for a bit um, and I played for my school. Um, I was rubbish at football, so I didn't really do a lot of that. Um did quite a bit of cross country running and uh, I was I was fairly in the middle of ability. Uh, oh, 
I was okay at stuff. I was never great. I was always kind of, yeah, no, you're right. You can, you can do a bit of running for us or, but yeah, that's what, that was where I was sport wise pretty much. Nice. Now it's funny when you say hockey, cause I played it too. And you know, people would say, Oh, it's not a girl's sport. It's like, well, <laughs> imagine football, but you get to carry a big stick the whole big time. Stick, yeah. <laughs> it gets well, pretty still, nasty. I still, yeah. I, I still play now. Um, so there's actually a really kind of, um, the cool thing about the Island is we've actually got a really big sport. Like sport is really big here. Um, so like we've got a really like a fairly good rugby team for the size. Uh, our football team is also fairly good. Um, hockey's absolutely like for such a small island it's absolutely massive um so yeah i'm still playing which is quite nice beautiful yeah well and that's the thing that i talked to a lot of um a lot of people in general about but it was interesting leaving the uk and coming to america because and correct me if i'm wrong if you, if you see this in in um, guernsey or not but what i saw back home was when we leave school most men and women still keep playing a sport. So say they are football players, then they'll play like a local league or, you know, five a side or whatever. But that sporting seed that was sown when we were children kind of keeps going. Whereas yeah, in, it, in America, we we have this elite performance. These kids are, you know, uh, performing at these incredible levels in American football or whatever it is. But if they don't make it to, you know, college or professional leagues, there's this huge drop off and you have a lot of these, you know, like 20 something Americans that used to be phenomenal athletes that now have just kind of stopped playing and therefore, you know, put on weight and, and that kind of thing. So what do you see as far as that momentum from school in Guernsey? No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, everybody plays sport. So, um, I mean, my wife got into rugby a couple of uh, a couple of years ago. Nice. And, um, uh, and actually our women, like the women's rugby from the, for the island is map like it's really really high level for like kind of the size of what we are um and then also it's with it like there's so many different leagues um for all the sport that everyone can find something so it's like i mean my dad was still playing hockey when he was uh, like into his 60s and and he was i mean he was still playing business league uh and still playing in division two men's which is the same division that i play in um for a really long time uh, it just seems to be there's always something that we can do and sport is such a big thing like all loads of the guys at work um they all still play football in different leagues for different teams we've got basketball players we've got hockey players uh, we've got loads of uh, athletics guys um yeah there's still a massive like massive sport theme for us which which i think is really really good yeah, no, and I think that's an important thing for, you know, for us in the US to kind of look at is I think we focus and this is this is not like one group's fault by any means. It's just this culturally, socially how we've kind of evolved. But um, you, this progression from player to viewer, you know, oh, I used to play American football. Now I just watch it with my friends every whatever. And there are obviously some incredible sports people that carry on their fitness through their whole lives. But I think if we whatever that looks like in the UK and some of these other countries where we can keep sports fun. So if you are, you know, an incredible athlete, then you go down that high level training route. But if you're not, you still want to play those sports when you get out. Cause I think that would really, there would be a huge kind of uh, paradigm shift for, for America. If we had a culture that kept active once they left school or college. Yeah. I, it's so important. Like, I mean, certainly for me, I mean, I, I stopped playing for quite a while. Um, so basically when I got out of the army, um, it all kind of, 
I kind of dropped quite a lot. I mean, I took up surfing and did some other things, but um, like I stopped playing hockey and it wasn't until I ran into somebody and they were just, uh, who used to play with my dad and he was like, oh no, we've got space on the team if you want to, like, do you want to come play again? And I was just like, yeah, no, that'd be brilliant. And now I'm playing hockey once a week. Well, was playing hockey once a week, but we'll talk again, talk about that in a minute. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like that. I know it's only kind of once a week that I really play, but it's a it's a pretty decent workout, especially as I'm playing midfield or up front. So, and if anyone anyone who hasn't played field hockey before, it's 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 a really fast sport. So then it's basically an interval training session. Yeah, no, exactly. And the other thing I think is when you have a sport specifically, it encourages you to do exercise around that sport because you want to be better at that sport. So you have versus just you know moving a pin down on a weight machine, you have. Um, uh, an outlet that you can measure your own performance on an ongoing basis so you know if you're a basketball player and you want to have a higher vertical jump or you know you're a football player and you want a you know a good goal kick then you're going to work on other elements that are going to help you become a better version of the whatever player of whatever sport that you're doing yeah yeah absolutely um obviously you want to work for the team as well so the the better you are the better the team is and it's always nice winning things so yeah Exactly. Well, just before we transition over, one more question. What does the overall overall health look like of the people of Guernsey? Uh, I'd say it's I'd say it's fairly good. I mean, it, obviously, working in the emergency services, I see all the rubbish bits as well. So um, I'm, I always try and be objective in the way I look at the community as a whole. Because if you keep seeing the bad things, that's all you ever think about, and it's all you ever remember, and it's that's your perception. But actually, I mean, certainly all, I mean, a lot of my friends, I mean, we're all, we're all fairly fit and we all do things like there's a really big gym culture here. Um, I mean, obviously, because I work in the fire service. Um, so we work the same as the UK. So we've still got fitness. Um, we've still got fitness standards, which we have to achieve every year. So you'll find like a lot of the guys are fairly fit. Um, so I kind of see that. Um but actually, like because sport is such a big thing, there is there is quite a decent level of fitness, and like you don't. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd say we do fairly well, to be honest. Brilliant. All right. Well, then, so tell me about your career aspirations. Were you dreaming of fire or military when you were in school? Uh, uh, so military, definitely. Um, obviously, as I think, there's a video of me somewhere at my grand's house basically saying i wanted to be a fire i wanted to be a fire engine and an ambulance somewhere when i was five years old i've got that um, video i'm going to play it for the audience now no, excellent, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um i i think so fire wise it was always actually I'll, I'll get to fire in a bit in a bit um certainly military wise i always wanted to join the army um uh, so my uncle was my uncle was in the army uh, he was in the military he uh, he ended up flying for the army air corps um and I kind of always looked at him and I was like, I, he was one of the reasons that I wanted to basically join the military. Um, also, the weird thing is, so because we were occupied by the Nazis in World War Two for five years. Um, so as the invasion of Europe happened uh, with the Allies, so after D-Day, they just went completely around us. Um, so we were occupied for the whole five years of World War Two. Um, there's all... we. Basically, we're also part of the Atlantic Wall, so you've got lots of German uh, German fortifications built everywhere. So it's like everywhere you go around Guernsey, there's fortifications and 
playing army with my mates when I was younger. Like it was something that we all did. Um, I think I just never grew out of it. Um, and then also the, uh, so the way the British military works as well is, so I ended up what it used to be called the junior leaders program, uh, before my time, uh, then it changed to the army foundation college. Uh, so you can join the military at 16 here. Um, and then, so the way that the college is made is you will do your basic training at the army foundation college, army foundation college, which will, which lasts a lot longer, but you do, um, uh, but you do education while you're doing it as well. So it pretty much brings you up to a uh, GCSE level. Um, so I'm trying to think what that would be in America. I think it's, it's, it's underneath a high, a high school diploma, but it's kind of like the base thing that most of the UK guys need. Yeah. So that'd be the 10th grade level basically in the US. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 Um, so then they, so our basic training was 42 weeks long which is absolute nause after you have to march for 42 weeks. It's just, it's just horrendous, but, um, it's, but yeah, so, so they, they kind of extend everything. So all of the fitness tests, because obviously you're still growing and everything else, um, there it's just staggered over 42 weeks. Uh, and I got pretty, pretty fed up with school fairly early on. Um, just cause I didn't really enjoy learning. Uh, I was at a private school as well. Um, and certainly the way, uh, you had all these high flyers at my school and I was just, I, I'm not a very, or I certainly wasn't a very academic person at that point. It wasn't until I left school that I decided that I wanted to learn again, which is a bit stupid, but um, yeah, so I, I pretty much got fed up with school. So instead of going on to do my A-levels, which would be, um, so basically get to my high school diploma, um, I just decided that the army was a better place to go. Um, so yeah, that's what, so that's what I did. Beautiful. It's funny you mentioned that because I had the same exact experience. I was a straight C student in school, really didn't enjoy a lot of the classes either. But when it was when I found the fire service is when I became an A student. And it was because I actually had application of, you know, maths and English and science that actually made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I I completely agree. It's um, I I got quite I got a bit into signals. uh, So radios and stuff when I was uh, when I joined the army. And it was uh, I actually really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that kind of learning process. And then the same when I got out and uh, when I joined the fire service, actually, there are some things that I really did, did pick up with and really enjoyed. So and right. like I actually want to learn. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just it. It's, it's a hunger for knowledge and that changes the whole lens on learning then. So with your, your military journey then, um, tell me kind of, you know, where you found yourself, which, you know, which division as it were, and then uh, where you deployed. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I joined at 16. Um, so I went to the army foundation college. I ended up joining uh, a cavalry regiment, uh, called the first of Queen Shagoon guards. Uh, we were, we were what's known as a uh, formation reconnaissance regiment. Um, I think it's, it's fairly similar, uh, as a cav scout in America, I believe. Obviously if I'm wrong, I, apolo- I apologize, but, um, so then, yeah, uh, so we were, based in germany so after i did my phase two which is my trade training so i did all my driving my signals and um uh, my driving and maintenance um i then ended up out in germany into a place called osnabrück uh so i was the whole pretty much there the whole time i was in uh so spent four years in germany pretty much uh, and while we were doing that i deployed to iraq twice 
Uh, first time in 2004 for six months. So went there late 2004, um, pretty much when the US, uh, when the Americans were assaulting through Fallujah on Operation Phantom Fury, we were, so we were moved up north uh, into that kind of AO where we'd taken over from one of the Marine units. So as they were assaulting through the city, we'd, uh, we basically sorted that AO out. Um, and then I pretty much pinged all the way around uh, the Brit AO, so down into Basra, uh, up to a place called Alamara, um, and then back down into a place called uh, Asamawa in the Almathana province. I think I'm just trying to double check. Uh, and then the second time I went out in 2006. Oh, 2006? Yeah, 2006. And then that was a summer tour. So uh, they were both six months tours. Uh, and then I pretty much did the same, but in reverse. So Started in Asamawa, then went to Basra, then went back up to um, Maysan province, so Alamara and places like that. Beautiful. Well, something that I ask um, every single person that's been in the military, because I want to get the rest of us, myself included, I never served in, in the military specifically, to kind of get the lens of what it's like from men and women on the ground and what they actually saw. So... Um, you know, we we get sold this polarizing you know message, and I, I, I kind of preface this on every guest that I ask this question. But it's either very very pro war, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out, or it's very anti war, all soldiers are baby killers. Um, you know, the reality is that it seems to be when these men and women get to the ground, there are certain things that they see, some certain you know horrific things that are going on, that whatever the politics are sent them there. At that moment, they see that there is, you know, there is evil that needs to be taken out. So, you know, same as when, you know, the, the Nazis were, were doing horrific stuff in, in Europe. And that wasn't all the German people by any means. So were there, did you ever get close enough where you saw, you know, some things that really kind of painted the picture of why you guys were actually there? Um, yeah, I saw, I saw, saw bits and pieces. Um, it, it's quite weird. Um, I, mean, I always had the idea that I was going to join the army and stay there for 22 years. That was my, that was my plan. Uh, so that's basically how long um, you can go until you get pensioned out. And that was my plan. Um, obviously that didn't happen. Um, Iraq was quite, I mean, I, w- I was really, really young when I, when I first deployed. So I was 18 on my first deployment. Um, and I, I'd speak to my friends who were back at home and they were, they were doing their A-levels or about to go to university and they were all partying, having a good time. And then you'd speak to someone, they'd be like, oh yeah, what have you been up to? It's like, well, you know, I've been deployed to Iraq. Like, it's crazy. And it, and it, and it was, it was, uh, we were extremely busy. Um, but it's the, it's such a, it's such a different place. Um, like Iraq compared to, and like certainly for me, like I live on a really tiny island. We have a, I mean, I'm not saying that there is no crime here, but we have a very, very little crime. Like, we have very little crime compared to any like anywhere else, like any big metropolitan centre or something like that. We have very, very little crime. Um, it's a really safe place. Um, like nobody really in Guernsey is starving. There's no, um, there's very little kind of big issues. When then all of a sudden you go to a country where like it's it's a normal thing to degrade like and I, I, this is going to sound really bad and I don't want to be perceived as this as this kind of person but it is it 
it is actually because I've seen it and I, and I watched it. Like you will see, like women won't be allowed to go out in certain at certain times, or they have to be with their husband. Or then, then you've got you find kids with learning difficulties who are basically staked to the ground in a shed outside because they don't know how to deal with them. Um, like it's a, it's a completely different place. Um, and I think that really, I think that really woke me up to how lucky I was, and actually how lucky I am to live in the place or to have lived in the place where I came from. Um, like, I mean, I don't know whether I look at it through rose tinted glasses with, and that's the way that my brain deals with it. And I go, actually I did smoke case that like, I never did anything that I didn't agree with. Um, so I never have any issues with like men, like don't mentally have any issues with the things that I did. Um, or the things that I saw or that, that we as a unit did. Um, I mean, again, I was, it's very, it, it's just very difficult to, to kind of put into words really. Um, yeah, I think it just kind of woke me up and made me realize that the world is a, is a much bigger place than I originally ever thought. And all, but also there's a, the world isn't black and white. Um, I think Iraq really enabled me to take a step back and try and look at things objectively as well. Um, but also people will make hard decisions, which will never see, which will never seem right. And you kind of make the best decision out of a lot of bad decisions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th yeah, I think it just, I mean, it made me grow up very, very quickly. And I think that was the, yeah, I think that's that's probably one of my main takeaways from from it. Um, uh, a, like a, maturing very very quickly, uh, and having to because you're put in that situation. Um, and it's going to sound like, and this is going to sound really cliche, but also genuinely how precious that I view life, um, and how important I view life, um, because actually in in other places in the world, life is extremely cheap, and it's not. And it's not valued in the same way that it is in other places. Yeah. Well, so thank you for, you know, for relaying your, your experience. Cause I think it's just so important, you know, to, to, to listen to an 18 year old, almost child who we've asked to put on a uniform and go, you know, into a, as you said, a completely different culture, especially coming from Guernsey that's famous for cows and oh. milk, <laughs> you know, yeah. not, not, not <laughs> gang banging and, you know, and murder. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we need to we need to hear that lens. And and when these men and women come back, if you're anti-war, understand what they've done, what they've seen. You know, some of the horrors that they have mitigated. And if you're pro-war, understanding the danger that you're putting these children in when we send them overseas. So that way, there's a calculated, measured response when we are gonna, you know, initiate a military, you know military action against whatever country or whatever group that everyone understands that the whole package, what these men and women are going to have to do, what they're going to have to see, you know, if they're going to come back in one piece. Um, so, you know, I think it's just so powerful for, for people like you to, to have that voice and tell us the people that you literally risk your lives for, you know, what you saw and what you did. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's quite mad. Um, 
I mean, I I try and sit in like I sit in the middle on quite a lot of things. Um, like I don't I don't really see that I'm. I wouldn't say I'm. I certainly wouldn't say I'm anti-war, but I certainly wouldn't say that I'm pro-war either. Um, and I I see some of my friends who have split, and, and it's it's absolutely mad. Um, and I see that they go in completely opposite directions, which we do because we're human beings, and we and we all have a different decision-making process. Um. But it's like, and it's like with the, like with the recent, obviously the the elections in the UK have been nowhere near as controversial as what you guys have had recently. Um, but it's like, I know guys who deployed together and were genuinely really, really good friends who all of a sudden, because one was left leaning and the other one was right leaning and they now went to talk to each other. And you're just like, you boys went to war, went to war with each other. Like you were like, you literally risked your lives for each other on a daily basis. And you were you were genuinely good friends like can we not i don't know like just stop <laughs> like it's, i understand you've everyone's got different opinions but we're allowed different opinions like uh, yeah I, I, it's one thing i've never really kind of understood and it's like i like i get on with both like i get on with both those guys and i'm happy to talk to them both but i'm also happy to disagree with them but also i can go yeah no it's cool yeah we've got different sort of opinion that's fine nice one yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know why we can't do that, um, or I don't know why certain people can't do that. And I really wish that we could, because I think we'd learn a lot more. And I think, I think everyone would be happy. I think we'd all be happier, really. Yeah, I think. Yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a no, but to no, make, but, <laughs> but it's something I talk about all the time. Like I honestly think that there's eighty percent of us that are standing in the middle, going, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> yeah, Jen. You, you know, oh. I mean, literally. Oh. And then those last, you know, f- those ten on each side. I think most of them would kind of pull back into the middle if if they weren't given a video camera or a microphone at every freaking moment. So the problem is, is those two extremes get all the voices. And even with what we're going to discuss today with COVID, I think, I think COVID has cleaved relationships more than any political argument, which is insane. Are you, are you a mask wearer or are you not a mask wearer? Yeah. Uh, I'm someone who doesn't want people to die. So I think I'm agreeing with you both, you idiots. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah, no, completely agree. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's right. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yes. Yeah. Let's. That's going to. It's going to be fun. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's get through your uh, not get through, but you know, let's transition to your your fire service. So why did you transition out of the military, and then why the fire service? Um, I think I just kind of I kind of got a bit done with the military. I like I, I'm like this is crazy because if you if my wife was stood here now and me saying I kind of got done with the military, she'll turn around to me and she'll be like, "What are you talking about? Leaders should do nothing but." reminisce about the good times you had and like for me to say that i don't miss the military would make me an absolute liar it really would um because there were points where i really enjoyed it um and i i've made some of the most incredible friends you will ever make Obviously, I mean, that's with everyone's military service i have genuinely made some of the most incredible friends um but i think i don't know i think i just kind of got i just got to the point where i just went i'm i'm done with this part of my life, I want to do something different. And I'll be honest, I did, I did miss home. Um, I know that's, uh, I know that's not very worldly of me, but I do generally live in a really cool place. Uh, it's like I can walk two minutes from my surfboard and I can go surfing. Um, we have so little crime here. Um, I mean, it's really expensive to live here, but it's like, it, it's just one of the safest places to raise children in the world. I personally think, um it 
like I was just allowed to pretty much run around and do whatever I wanted. Like when I was a, when I was, when I was young and actually I can still do that. Like with my, with my nipper, I can just be like, yeah, right, let's go. Let's go to the park. And like, if he runs around the corner, I have absolutely no worries about what's going on or what's going to happen because I really do live in a really nice, safe place. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of the, one of the reasons that I left. Uh, and fire service, the reason I got to the fire service was, uh, so <laughs> my mum, so in the British military, you've got to give a year's notice. Um, so I, I'd signed what we call signing off. So I signed off. Um, I was waiting for, waiting for my contract to run out basically. Uh, and my mum just got hold of me and she was like, Oh yeah, the fire service are recruiting. It's in the paper. I was like, Oh cool. Okay. She's like, do you want me to send you a, uh, application form? Cause I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and she was just like, so she did that. So I filled in, uh, yeah, I filled it in, sent it, uh, got through to the written exam. So I ended up flying from Germany back to Guernsey, which cost me an absolute fortune, um, to do my written exam, flew back to Germany to go back to work, then got accepted onto the physical, uh, like to the physical test. So then flew back again, did that, flew back to Germany, got through to the final interview stage, <laughs> flew back again. Um, and then because they knew I was flying back to Germany again, they offered me the job, um, which is, yeah. So, and then, and that was me pretty much. So then I left, so yeah, left the army and pretty much walked into the fire service and then went, uh, went away to what our academy is. So training school. Um, yeah. And that was, that's how that worked really. Beautiful. When was that? What year? Uh, two, 2008, January, 2008. Okay. So for, again, with, with a, with a safe Island, you know, with again, you know, just in the middle of the ocean, what, idiosyncrasies what what differences do you have versus a fire um station for in london for example uh so so for us we have uh so the way that i'll quickly go over how we work because it'll make more sense um so we have what in the uk we call whole time uh fire crews so it's whole time paid um that is our main profession um so we have four watches uh so we have a minimum riding strength of nine. So we have to have nine guys on duty at any one time, but we only have one fire station, um, which is great. And it is brilliant. Um, but we've also got basically in the UK, a county's worth of fire or yeah, basically we have every single piece of fire equipment that you need on one station. And every single person is trained in every piece of equipment. So we do we train constantly uh also with our special risks so so our station patch is a 25 square mile patch but on that we have what was it? so there's seven i think it's seven schools however many primary schools then you've got multiple fuel farms we've got an airport we've got two harbors we've got a prison we've got um a massive financial sector we've got um basically we have absolutely everything on our patch so yeah we we have to train for literally everything and um, so trying to specialize is quite um it, you can't really well you can do it um but it's everybody is trained in everything and so like one day you'll be sitting on a water tender as a breathing apparatus wearer to then the next day you'll be driving a turntable ladder so a ladder truck for you guys and 
all of us are so in our career progression we're all taught to drive so we all kind of cycle through all of the responsibilities beautiful and what shifts do you work how many hours uh so we do uh with similar to the uk but slightly different so we do uh two days two nights four days off um and that runs throughout the year and then so we do 10 hour days and 14 hour nights right and what kind of call load how many calls would you run on a shift um not that many uh we run about i think we had i think we had 1100 and something last year so it works out to around about three jobs a day so it's not um because obviously we don't do because uh, we have a completely separate ambulance service as again same as the uk so we don't really do medical calls um but now we co-respond with the ambulance so we will go to all the cardiac arrests uh, and we will go to any lifting job so any kind of bariatric casualty or sorry plus size casualty now i think i think that's what we have to say i'm not i can't remember is, <laughs> uh, basically any the medical any term casualty. is not pc anymore <laughs> oh, i don't i don't know i don't know oh, I, i'm trying to keep up um so we go out, um, yeah, so we help them with any lifting um, and also any cardiac arrest, we all respond. Um, so we run what we call a pit stop CPR because um, it's easier to get us. Uh, well, basically, if we get firefighters doing compressions and doing all the kind of really basic BLS work, it, it alleviate, like it lets the EMTs and the paramedics do uh, all the intubation, all the drugs and everything else. And they can focus on that when... Obviously, as we're firefighters, I'm more than happy to jump up and down on someone's chest because that doesn't take any clinical reasoning. Just tell me to do compressions and I'll do compressions. Uh, and then we will not take over. That's the wrong word. But we will run getting that casualty out of wherever they are because that's what we do and that's what we're good at. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic. I'm definitely going to come and visit one day when I'm allowed. No, we'll sure, get mate. to that in a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but uh, as far as just just events like over your career or even even prior to you joining, what are some of the big incidents that Guernsey has had? Uh, yeah, we've had a f- uh, yeah, we've had a couple. Um, I've the bigger the bigger ones. I mean, ones that I were that I wasn't there for. Um, so plane, we've had a couple of plane crashes. Those are fairly big. Um, thankfully for us, we, ugh, hang on, where's some wood? I need to knock some wood immediately. We don't really have <laughs> any mass casualty incidents very often. Sorry, I'm tapping everything right now. Um, so we're quite lucky in that regard. Um, I mean, we had a couple of years ago, we had a large recycling fire. Um, and like, uh, that's the other, that's the other crazy thing. Um, so because we've, so Basically, if I'm on, if I'm working on my day shift, I'm on call during the nights. And then if I'm on call during the day, uh, and then if I'm working on nights, then I'm usually on call during the day. So uh, basically, if we go to a job and so like Gage Recycling is a fairly good example of that. Um, like in the UK, that's a 100 plus firefighter job pretty yeah, much. That's a long ass um, fire too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we... I think the max. I think the most number of people we had on that fire ground that day was nineteen, because that's all we have, <laughs> and it's like, and you're calling everyone in, and but then also when you're calling people in, like that immediate call in is for any other job that happens. So, as soon as you start getting to protracted incidences, we have to start calling literally everyone who's off duty and basically going, "Can you come to station?" Because 
the wheels have fallen off and we need more people. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of, that, that's the kind of thing with all the bigger incidents that we have. Um, I mean, we're, we're fairly lucky with kind of big fires. Um, derelict hotels is a big one for us. I've been to quite a few of those. Um, I mean, they're not overly exciting really, because as soon as you know that there's absolutely no life risk, it's uh right. We'll put it out, but we're, we're, we're going to dump, we're going to dump a load of water on it because it's a completely derelict structure. It's completely unsound. Like it's completely unsafe. Like, yeah. This needs to be we know that there's no, yeah, obviously our, we have pretty, I'm not going to say we have a zero, zero homeless problem, but we have very nearly zero homeless problem. So, um, just with the way that the island's set up and how people live here, like, like there are very, very, very few homeless people. So the kind of vacant properties and things, it's it's never really an issue for us. Very interesting. Now, if if you know the shit really did hit the fan, who is your mutual aid? Would that be military? Would that be forces from the UK? I mean, uh, uh, yeah, fire so, fire departments from the UK. Yeah, yeah, fire. So um, we've got a mutual aid agreement with Hampshire, um, who we sort of uh, uh, we try and stay as close to as we can. Um, so we've got a mutual aid agreement with Hampshire and another island called Jersey. But again, using Jersey is would be the same issue with Jersey using us. It's like we've only got so many people. So if we go out to go and help Jersey, we're massively limiting our very already limited fire service. So Jersey won't usually come and help us and we won't go and help Jersey. Uh, we'll just go straight with Hampshire and then Hampshire will come over and they'd send us guys to come help. Gotcha fascinating it's such an unusual dynamic well speaking of that so you know you talked about um hardly having any homelessness obviously there's elements of good leadership on that particular island that are creating you know a safe place to live they're creating you know very low homelessness there's there's some people from you know decades back that have made some great decisions so tell me about um disaster prep and pandemic prep and and then we'll lead through obviously to to how you know the, the story that connected us yeah. Um, so, I mean, disaster prep, um, obviously, because we're very lucky and we've got a very small island, it's 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 quite easy to control lots of things. Um, so we have a one of our one of the main leaders at the moment is a um, is Dr. Nicola Brink. She's uh, she's part of the CCA, which is the Civil Contingencies Authority, which we've pretty much enacted for COVID, uh, for the covid pandemic um she is by trade a um uh consultant virologist i believe that's right sorry dr brink if i get that wrong um but she's able like basically the first thing she did when she came into office was or into her position sorry was and like, this was before covid was happening she was like well we haven't done a pandemic exercise for a really long time so that's what we're going to do so that's what they did and that was like and like she came in she came into position i think like 2 years ago so actually this was all fairly fresh um and then also because we are a small island um i like so i can't talk too much kind of policy wise because uh, because i'm i'm on the tools basically um but we so i know basically all of our control staff uh, so we have a joint control room which does police fire and ambulance um our um so our ambulance service are on the exact same shifts as we are as well so we know 
everyone on that shift and we always work with or most of the time work with the same people all the time which is great for us because we can then because uh, you know who you're talking to and you understand how they work they know how you work um and it makes life very very easy um because we all know each other um and then there's no kind of awkward of oh, would you be happy if i did this would you be happy if i did this we all kind of already know um yeah, i'm trying to think disaster prep now sorry i'm going off on a tangent no no it's good um, um well the key thing was that you said that that she had started talking about training and this is something i've talked about a lot so so she had thrown in what if scenarios rather than looking and we're waiting until it actually happened and i think that's a very very important point that i think sets you guys up for success is you didn't have the knee-jerk reaction to an incident happening like a lot of these good departments you had plans put in gate it put in place just frameworks for what if scenarios i think that's such an important training point yeah yeah um I certainly from from the outside from from what I saw that was I, I think it really has helped us into into where we are um obviously um it's all kind of a bit weird at the moment uh, as of today which we will talk about in a second I'm sure um but yeah I thought, yeah I, I, yeah we'll talk about the whole pandemic bit in a minute I imagine but I'll, I'll so what so what did it look like? So when she was when she was doing the pandemic training and prep, like you know, from a firefighter, from a paramedic level, what did that look like? Uh, to be to be honest, we didn't get overly involved with it. Uh, we knew it was happening, but um, it was she pretty much worked out all. Or from what I remember, it feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, it was so they like we didn't actually get involved in the move like of actually doing anything on the ground. Um, but it was all the logistics and everything to be put in place. Um, that's what uh, that's what happened, or what I believe to have happened. Um, and then with the whole decision making process, um, she was just placed in the decision making process. So there was no need to like to have a politician who doesn't actually like. Not saying that they don't understand, but like who isn't completely virus focused because let's let's be honest that's 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 really what she does and that's her that, like she is an sme in that um being subject matter expert she can get the information and make immediate decisions or oh, like that's my opinion anyway and i think that's but also she's got the clout of i am a like i am a consultant virologist i know what i'm talking about and actually people listen to her and yeah, I, I think that's just one of the big things that's really, really kind of put us where we are. Yeah. Well, then, so lead us through, you know, early last year, you know, there's there's these reports of, um, you know, an, uh, an epidemic at that point in China. So what did that look like through Guernsey's lens and then kind of walk us through the next year? Honestly, uh, so honestly, at the start, um, obviously, with the whole SARS, like with the SARS pandemic and everything else, Certainly from, from me, I just kind of looked at it and I was like, yeah, okay, well, that's happening in China. Okay, well, we'll okay, whatever. That was, I, I'll be honest, that's, that's where it started for me. Um, so we ended up going on holiday. Uh, yeah, we ended up going on holiday early in the year. Um, we went to, out, yeah, we went snowboarding in France. And, and that's when it, and pretty much while we were snowboarding, it really started to, really started to kick off. 
uh, and it was like, and that was as it started to move through everything, like all through the countries, and and it all started going mad. So then we got back. Yeah, so we got back. Everybody was then talking about it. Um, and it was people were started getting worried, and it was, and then I remember. So we got a briefing. Probably, uh, I mean, the numbers were obviously we've things have changed now, and we understand a lot more about it. But like the initial numbers for us were because uh, also we've got quite an elderly population here. It's quite quite a lot of people come like move here to retire, etc. Um, uh, the numbers that we were getting were basically if this comes here, we are we're going to be completely we're going to be completely drowned by like we're we're just not going to be able to function because there's going to be so much. So again, like with having only one fire station, we also only have one police station. We have only one ambulance station. We have only one hospital. Um, and it's, uh, we have only one morgue with enough. Uh, so when they were originally talking about the casualty rate, which we were looking at, um, we, we didn't even have anywhere to put people like if we did. And it was, it was a bit of a, uh, we were genuinely concerned. Um, so then after the briefings and everything, it then got to the point where, um, so then we went, started get, looking at lockdowns around March. Uh, well, basically we got locked down in March and I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, but it was, I think it was kind of, it was kind of middle of March and we went in really, really hard with lockdown. It was literally right. Everybody is to stay at home. Yeah, everyone is to stay at home. You're allowed out for two hours exercise a day, and that is it. And this, and all of this got mandated in law as well. Um, uh, you're not allowed to mix households, so we weren't allowed to see our family. Um, yeah, and we just went absolutely hard. Like everything shut, businesses, any non-essential business. So uh, food, like grocery shops, were still open, but that was it. Um, all the pubs were shut. All the hotels were shut all the restaurants were shut. Um, uh, basically you had to apply for a permit to open if, um, whether it was deemed essential or not. Um, like really, really, I, I, I certainly know that some of, some of your viewers probably won't agree with that. Um, but honestly it like I, it was, it was everything stopped. Uh, and then after, I think, uh, I think we were locked down for about a month. After that, we then started to go through a phased reopening. Um, we did it a different way. So Jersey, which is another one of the Channel Islands, uh, they also have their own government. Um, we looked at it, in, I believe the islands looked at it in different ways. Um, so obviously my opinion from what the way that we dealt with it and the way that we are now dealing with it again Um which we will come up to in a minute. Um, because we did it so hard, uh, because it was it was so hard, and we had uh, all of our press releases, certainly what I believe the, all of the politicians and all of the main key players, they were extremely honest with us. Um, and it started with, we are doing this because we believe this is the right thing to do. And there was actually questions, which I never thought I'd ever hear a politician ever say, where they were asked and they turned around and just went, we don't know. We honestly don't know if we're making the exact right call now, but we believe this is the right thing to do and we're going to do it. 
And they massive, they were extremely honest with us. They were honest with all of the cases. They were honest with all the deaths. Um, they were honest with uh, where everything was. So when we had them in certain care homes, they told everybody. Uh, and and they were also extremely honest with, uh, we have no idea how long this is going to last. And they basically put it in place and said, we all need to work together. Because if we don't work together, we're not going to, like, this isn't going to fix itself. Uh, and if we keep ignore, like if you ignore certain things, it's just going to spread and we're going to have to keep locked down forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, and they, they really, really peddled super hard on the community responsibility. And I generally like it, certainly on the start, start briefings for us, it was, oh, we're expecting 70% compliance with this. Hey buddy. <laughs> Sorry, it's my son coming in. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, where was I? He's lost me. Oh, yeah. So uh, they really, really went hard with the community responsibility. And we were told that they reckoned we were going to have about 70% buy in by the general public, and 30% of people would just, just do whatever they wanted. Um, I think there was another reason that stopped, but I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but actually, we had, I, I think also because, because we're so, because we're such an island community. And also because it was coming up to Liberation Day, which is the, so that's our celebration day for when we got liberated from the Nazis. There's a, there's a really big kind of community spirit around that. And it's when we were looking, it's like, right, you're going to be closed. Uh, you're going to be closed from like, everything's going to be closed for this long. Lots of people, obviously every, a lot of people had a massive whinge and got like, and everybody started complaining, but then we're still in a position where we like, certainly so my, my grandfather stayed here during the occupation. And I remember him talking about like, basically they were starving because there was no, there, were, there was no food getting here apart from the red cross boats. And we had people who were taken off to concentration camps. And we had people who were, like, they were getting bombed all the time. And it's like, I think as a community, we genuinely got together and we're just like, actually we don't have it that, that bad. Like, like this is, I mean, yes, this is rubbish. And yes, certain businesses are suffering and everything. But if we pull together and help each other and actually do this together, we can we can actually have some positive change. And actually, and we can we can affect this in the right way. And I think that that's basically or what one of the, one of the main reasons I believe how it happened. And we ended up having like a I think it was something stupid like a ninety seven percent like buying rate of like after everything had happened they worked it out that 97 percent of the population didn't break any other didn't break any of the restrictions that were imposed on them and it's which which i think is absolutely incredible um and like those are insane numbers uh but then also i mean there's there's lots of other bits and pieces to it it's like the so the government were extremely honest and open um or certainly from my point of view anyway i don't know whether that's everyone's point of view but i really believe and what they were telling us, I looked at it and went, actually, you've got my best interests at heart right now, which is to try and control this virus as best we can and move us as far into normality as we physically can. I think that was the other thing. Um, and then, so you had the politicians doing that, you had the community buy-in, uh, you had the laws which we put in place, which are going to sound horrendous, but um, so... 
our maximum fine for breaking a COVID restriction is a £10,000 fine. So that's, what's that in dollars right like now? 15000 $15,000. Uh, yeah, 15, one, um, one five. Like, that's a horrendous, yeah, that's a horrendous amount of money. Um, so everybody kind of, and I, I don't think I've seen a full on 10 grand fine, but certainly like when people were starting to break it, it was just like, right, five, five grand fine to break yourself. Like that's it. Yeah. You, you now owe us 5,000 pounds because you broke, because you broke the law and it's, yeah, it was, I think that also sort of helped. Uh, but also people were like, people understood why we needed it because if it did take over, like just, I mean, we don't have the NHS here. We have a similar sort of process. It's a little bit different, but like if, if our hospital got overrun, I just, I have no idea what we'd do because it is like, it is, it would be a nightmare. Um, so then, so there was that and that, and then we started to open up. So the way that we did it is we pretty much, so after everything opened up, we allowed families to mix again. So we had bubble, like we had this bubble issue. Um, so I think uh, basically the, the next phase of opening, we were allowed to mix with another family, but that was it. So we did that for two or three weeks, I think. After that, then you could mix with another family, but they all had to be intermingled together, which caused locally caused a bit of issues with certain people because certain people bubbled with other people. And then all of a sudden people like you wouldn't be able to see certain members of family. And it was a bit of a nightmare and yeah, got a bit. Yeah. Um, I, everybody understood it, but some people got upset with it at, at the time. Uh, and then we moved and uh, by this time we started opening up everything gradually. So it was like, right, well, you can't have, uh, so the pubs aren't open, but what we'll do is uh, like any of the pubs that serve food, all of you can run a takeaway service. So, and then everybody started going out and because we knew that the pubs were suffering, everybody actually went out and like everybody started using like everyone who could, we started using the takeaways and started using all the local pubs and restaurants and everything to try and basically just to try and keep them afloat uh and then as we then started to open up we then got to the point where uh what we call the bailiwick bubble so the bailiwick of guernsey is what we run uh, there's a couple of other smaller islands around us so alderney herm sark and then all the really really little ones but i won't talk about them um uh, so they're all under the states of guernsey uh, as governance and then, so basically we just, we opened up everything. We got to a point where we did and everything got opened up and it was like, right, nobody's allowed to travel in or out of the Bailiwick unless they isolate for two weeks. So you literally, you fly in wearing a face mask, uh, you go through a certain certain point, you get met by somebody from the Guernsey Border Agency who will explain to you that uh, by law, you have to self-isolate for 14 days um, where, uh, and then that started to change further on. Um, so yeah, you had to isolate for 14 days. So now it's, you get COVID tested on your first day back and then you get COVID tested on the 13th day. Um, if you refuse to have a COVID test on your 13th day, then by law, you now have to isolate for 21 days in total. But if you have a clear COVID test, then you can get out. So surprisingly, everybody has a COVID test on day 13. 
Um, and then we pretty much opened everything. So we had a completely normal existence apart from travel. So obviously can't go, can't go to the UK, can't go to France or anything else. But so for the last couple, well, pretty much since, when did we open? Uh, I think we opened May. Yeah, May. We opened in May. We have been in what we termed the bailiwick bubble or and been completely open. So no social distancing, no masks, no queues. Everything's open. Everything functions since May until today, which we will also talk about in a minute. Um, so we did it that way. Um, Jersey did it a slightly different way. And they were basically saying that they needed to have people from the UK flying in. Or I think this is one of the things that they decided uh, so that their hospitality industry didn't go under. When we did it a different way, and actually, instead of us being able to go anywhere, everybody kind of like so me and my wife went on a hol- like we had a holiday we've had holidays here so we've gone to like local campsites for a week or we've gone to like we've gone to a hotel here and just tried to make the most of it but also to, just to try and keep our local economy going um and just be um we have been really really we've been really lucky and we've been but i think we've all worked really hard to have a normal life for as long as we had so it's like I've got brothers, like brothers-in-law who've come, who were in the UK and they come over and they were just, they're complete, like obviously in the UK at the moment, you're pre- you've pretty much been conditioned to be scared of people. And so like, and wearing face masks and everything else, like trying to take one of them to the pub, which we've been doing for quite a long time. Like so one of them came over at Christmas, like he genuinely got emotional because he was like, I don't understand like how how can you all be in one place together how can you shake his hand how can you sit at the same table why are we allowed to stand at the bar and order a drink like a normal person um yeah it was i mean for us we never really saw it because this was because we were this is what we work for and this is what we got to um yeah and then you see people coming over from the uk and just how just how create like even in this short amount of time they are like their normal is it's different everything is now different yeah it's 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 amazing mate and it's funny because where i am where i'm living in florida we're probably one of the most fortunate states socially and you know and natural cases as well so we we are probably halfway between london and and you you know you prior to today where you know we're still asked to wear masks uh, in public around other people um you know we're still asked to stay six feet from each other um you know obviously like anywhere none of us can travel to a different country i think pretty much on the whole planet um but you know there is that sense of normality you can go to a restaurant you you know if you're asked to you wear a mask walking through and then you take it off which you know again is kind of a, a pantomime if you think about it but um but yeah, so so we have a little bit more of that. So it breaks my heart seeing, you know, the New Yorkers, the Londoners that, just like you said, it hasn't been, hey, can you all, mu- you know, muck in together for four weeks? It's been a year, a year <laughs> yeah, yeah. of this on, yeah. off, on, off, on, off. And just like you said, I'm seeing it destroying people, destroying mental health. And it's not, 
disregarding the virus itself. But I think just as, as you guys are a shining example, which is why I want to have this conversation today, it's also an example of an absence of leadership. And when you have good leadership, when you have good pre-planning, when you have a sense of community on an island, when you have an overall good health on an island, you were able to mitigate it. And I know you're unique because you are a smaller community, but the UK is an island. Ireland is an island, you know? So where I'm from is is also two rocks in the middle of the ocean. And it's a very, very different result. So I think it's very powerful, regardless of what's happening today. It's very powerful. For the last eight months, you guys have been not the new normal, you know, this horrific, you know, space age bullshit that they're trying to sell people but normal like i can see your fat face when you smile like you know we can hug all that stuff so i think it's it's absolutely incredible and it really does um you know it, it's the optimistic story and new zealand i think is a similar story too another island yeah yeah but yeah. you know but we don't we don't hear this like i you know how, how much i had to dig to find a pre-today guernsey story there's hardly yeah, anything yeah, out no, there it's, yeah it's crazy um yeah i I kind of, I think I kind of understand it. Um, it's it's really weird because uh, so since like since the pandemic, um, so the WhatsApp groups for like my friends, like my military friends, because obviously most of them live in the UK. Actually, pretty much all of them live in the UK. Um, all of a sudden, we're all talking to each other again. Um, like, I mean, we still talk to each other, but it's like we talk to each other more regularly because I think we all know that actually this could be. Like it's going to be a while and we know that some of the guys are probably going to suffer. So everyone's kind of jumping on just like, right, how is everybody doing? Are you all okay? Is everyone doing all right? What's going on with you? How are you affected by this? And everything. And it's, um, which is pro- which is a positive thing that's come out of the pandemic. Um, so, well, certainly for me anyways, that I'm, I'm speaking more to uh, my friends from the military. Um but the, yeah, it's like seeing something, like seeing how people are living now. It's, I mean, I'm I'm kind of struggling with it, but then that's because I'm in a really lucky place and I've been, in, and we've been lucky and we're able to live a normal life. Uh, well, we were until today. <laughs> well, let's talk about that then. So I don't think it's, it's ironic. I, I literally laughed out loud when when I saw it, just because of the irony, not because you know I want there to be COVID in, in Guernsey. But obviously, there's a point there. We're still humans; these are microorganisms. At some point, there's going to be exposure again. You know, whether it's every the world opening up, it's going to happen. Um, so as of my today, wife is, my wife is generally blaming. Oh, sorry, no, go on, please. My wife's my wife's blaming me. She's just like you have jinxed it. You have jinxed us all. <laughs> you are you are awful. I'm like. Oh. <laughs> it's like I use the Q word. It's just ridiculous. So I was Googling Guernsey COVID. I was going to do a post like, ah, you're not going to believe it. And it, you still, nothing has changed. For the last eight months, you guys have absolutely been a shining example of of the leadership choices and the community choices and the ownership of the individual choices that lead to success with this. However, when I Googled it, Four hours prior to Googling, BBC said Guernsey has cases of COVID. And I was like, ah, shit. <laughs> but it, but then, it, but it's, but it's important though, because again, we're not hiding from a virus. You're mitigating the spread and you're mitigating ultimately serious illness and death. So tell me again about, you know, immediately what you guys are doing today. Now you found some, some cases back in the island. 
Okay, yeah. So we got so there was a press release earlier this morning which said they have found for uh, so we've we've always had COVID cases here uh, because obviously we've got essential workers and people uh, people coming home who are uh, so they're returning back to the island they're isolating for uh, fourteen days um, if they're so we've had COVID positive people self isolating and they've been to, but we found that they've like we found that they've had COVID when they've travelled back. So they've we've known where everybody is and it's never been an issue. So what happened this morning was uh, it was mentioned that there was uh, basically it was released to us that there was four new cases where they haven't they they have no travel history. So for us now it's now it's believed that it's become community seeded, which has always been our issue. Which is like if there's any community seeding, this is when we start kicking up and start putting uh, measures in place so then so we went for so then we had our the official press release from the civil contingent civil contingencies authority at midday today and so basically what they've done is they've gone we can't identify exactly where these have come from so it's potentially community seeding Uh, also the thing that we've got now uh, so we test pretty much everybody basically if you've got any covid symptoms you will have to go to the hospital and go get tested um so that's what they've uh, and they've pretty much sat there and gone right what we want you to so basically everything's locked down so as of midday today and they've done it like literally immediately they've just gone right pubs now have to close restaurants closed everything closed essential travel only um uh if you can work from home then you work from home unless you're an essential worker so I've still got to go to work sometimes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and they've, so we, we've now gone into a, what they're calling pretty much a circuit breaker lockdown. So it's like for at least, uh, so it's going to be reviewed in two weeks. They've said, this is an indefinite lockdown. We don't know how long it's going to be, but we were going to review it in two weeks and see what happens and then whether we lift restrictions or not. So they've just pretty much out, like literally from today, right, you're allowed out for two hours exercise a day. That is it. You need to stay at home. And we all uh, also, uh, so for the first time we've had um, masks have been, uh, basically everyone's been told to wear masks, which is a first for us. Uh, so we didn't do it through the first lockdown at all. Um, uh, basically they said it was evidence-based and they said actually wearing masks wasn't, uh, it wasn't, what they wanted to do but now this time they have gone down the mask route which is i mean it's fine at the end of the day it's just a it's just another thing um uh i have uh, i mean i can only go over with what i've been told from the cta which is it's evidence-based so and and they've been honest with us for the rest of the time so i've got a reason to like i've I've got faith in their decisions and so that's what we're going to do um, so yeah, that's basically what's happened. Um, but there's, there's not been a, oh, and it's not, it's not been a, oh, we're going to do this from Monday or we're going to do this from a week's time. It was literally as of this moment, everything shuts like immediately. And it was, um, so I'll be honest, like I'll, I'll be hundred percent honest. I'm not overly happy because I like going to the pub. I like seeing my friends. I like playing hockey. Obviously that's all now stopped, but I completely 
like I've seen it. I've seen this work, and I know it works, and I know what we're doing. Maybe maybe it isn't right for other uh, for other places. However, for us, I know it works. I've seen it work. If we if we grizz this out, and it's going to be a, like if this is going to be a rubbish two weeks. Definitely, I know it's going to at least two weeks. Sorry. I know it's going to be rubbish. Um, I can't. I know my, my little one's going to be absolutely gutted that we can't go to soft play. He's going to be gutted that we can't do certain things. He's going to be gutted that he can't see his nanny. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to be gutted that I can't see my family. Uh, my wife is really family orientated. She's going to be absolutely. She is gutted that she can't see her mum and her dad. Um, it's like it, it is going to be hard. But then again, it's the and certainly the majority of what I see from everyone on social media, not that I'm on social media much anymore anyway, um, is everybody is genuinely coming together. And it's like, right, we know this is, we know this is rubbish. And I know this is like, this is going to suck, but right. We've done this. We've done it before. We can do it again. Let's screw the nut and let's work really hard. Like let's do the things that we're told to do. And let's, the quicker we do this, the quicker we, we can then go back to normal and not new normal as in what we've just had for the last eight months, which is genuinely normal. So yeah, that's where, that's where we are right now. Yeah. He says. Well, and I think so. Hopefully. Yeah. And I hope so. But here's, here's what I'm pulling from that. Firstly, because you were fortunate because it worked the first time you guys had eight months of normal, like truly normal. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. when, yeah, when you have, we're going to, we're going to respond immediately. We pre-planned, we're going to lock down. We're going to tell you exactly why you know this is going to work. We're going to give you a time frame of you know optimistic time frame. This is when we're hoping to you know to 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 start unwrapping this again, and then it works. You have the community's trust. You know you've you've made decisions. You know and you were honest as well, saying we don't know everything about this. We're going to make this decision every time there's there's a there's a a change. We're going to let you know immediately. And then, like you said it, and it worked, which is amazing. And then when it comes again, you ask your men and women and children, hey, we need you to do this again. This is why we just found out we're not going to do it, you know, after 10 or every day except Christmas or, you know, whatever. We just, this is when yeah. we need to do it yeah, right yeah. now. And then here's a time frame again. That's, that's empowering the men and women that you're asking to do this with the, information and knowledge that they know okay hopefully in two weeks they're going to say we squashed it again or you know whatever it is and then we'll we'll move on from there what i've seen in the u.s in the uk is a year solid of oh yeah mm, oh hold on wait no yeah do this no don't do this do this after 10 do this apart from christmas day and you're wondering why these people don't want to listen to you anymore. Firstly, you're a politician, yeah. so you're not inherently known as the most trustworthy people anyway. Of, the, of course, there are some great ones amongst them. And then, you know, obviously they're side by side with drug companies, drug companies, another, you know, group of people not known for their ethics. So it's not like we're <laughs> getting Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela asking us to do something together. You know what I mean? So, but then this indecision and this lack of, effectiveness like all right we'll lock down the whole of london okay great and there's still covid and you wonder why people question that you know so yeah i think that's the lesson is that what you did what new zealand did was you made a decision you got educated people there weren't political slants because i mean obviously covid here was used like a crowbar 
as a political tool, yeah. not actually to help the yeah. people of the country. And then it worked. So of course the people of Guernsey are going to be like, you made the right, you made good decisions last time. You know, even though you didn't know everything about it, you made good decisions. You adapted and overcame. And therefore you have our faith. So if you're telling us this happens again and now we need to add a mask, that's fine because I trust you. I'll follow you. You know, I think that's the difference. It's not like, oh, if we did this and America would have no COVID cases. Of course not. But it just would have been handled completely differently. And I think that we would have been able to not only mitigate it, but another huge thing that drives me up the fucking wall, excuse my language, is that <laughs> here there has been not just no mention of underlying, you know, issues, medical issues, but actually a suppressing of any conversation of hypertension, obesity, you know, all these things that are contributing to to COVID finishing off our men and women and therefore the the cases being so high. Yeah, I I mean I'll be I'll I'll be honest, I'm probably like I mean obviously I come from a place in because I still do quite a bit of sport and like, I like, I like being active, like, like snowboarding, I like surfing and like, like I'm, I'm a fairly active person and actually I come from a fairly active community. It's the, but even here I find it's like, I find no one's allowed to talk about like, like you're not allowed to talk about ill health or, or like bad decisions people are making for their health. Like don't get me wrong, like, I used to be a smoker. Like I'm a, like I'm, not anymore well not anymore until i get drunk and then apparently i am <laughs> but uh um but it's like if somebody turns around to me and says oh no no no, you're a smoke like yeah you're a smoker that's really bad for you and like i feel like you're not allowed to do that anymore or like you're not allowed to do that with certain subjects and it's like i don't understand it like you know it's bad for you like if like if i do nothing but eat and do no exercise and yeah and like you're going to get obese and it's going to be bad for you and you're going, but I don't understand why we're not allowed to talk about that. Like, I don't understand why, like, I don't, oh, I'm trying to say the right thing here. So, <laughs> so I don't offend loads and loads of people and hopefully then my chief won't hear it and tell me off. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand why we can't be honest about things. It's just like, like, oh yeah, this is uh, this is great. Yeah, but it's not because you're you're really really damaging your body. Stop it! It's really bad for you, man. Like, it's like oh yeah, well I don't have to go. Like I don't have to be active. Like no, I'm not saying that you need to be a. I'm not saying that you need to be a marathon runner or you need to be Pat McNamara or someone like that. Like, it's the have, just being able to move and being able to like being able to be healthy and like looking after yourself, like you're only here once, like you, you've got to make this as best as you can. Like I, I am not a saint in any way, shape or form. I probably drink too, like I drink, I drink more than I should. Um, I used to be a smoker and thankfully don't smoke. And again, unless I've been drinking and I'm out with the boys because apparently that's what we do. Um, <laughs> But it's like, I, I'm trying, like, I'm not perfect, but I'm certainly trying to be like, I try and eat, like, I try and eat healthily, like, certainly, like, making food for my son is just like, it's, it's pretty much my world. And it's like, I want to make sure that you eat the right things. And I want to make sure that you're as healthy as possible. And now I want to try and be more healthy because I want to be here for as long as I can to be with you. 
like that is my, like it's just my complete driving force now like even away from sport or just being healthy or like obviously i need to be i need to be fit to be good at my job but also it's the i want to be here for a really long time like like life is important and it's precious and i think i've just been i think i think i'm just in a place or and i've been to certain places and i now work in a place where you see how genuinely fragile life is and actually like when it's gone it's gone there's no there's no like oh yeah no no this will be all right and like i'll make this better it's like no 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 when it no, when this is when this is gone this is finished like i i don't want him to not have a dad like that's gonna suck it's gonna be awful like and i want to see him grow i want to see him grow to become an adult and i want to i want to see him have grandchildren like, i want grandchildren i want and I want to see him live a happy life and do what he wants to do and massively excel over the things that I've done because obviously I want better for my son. But like that's that's the most important thing now. And like if by eating by eating well and like helps me do that, then let's do it. Like and I don't I don't understand people who who don't think like that. But I mean there's people think weird things. So I don't know. Yeah, but so I have no idea where I was going with that. No, just, no, but it went. <laughs> but it, it's important though, and it is important. And the thing is, that's that's the message that I think that had been. De- I wish had been delivered alongside lockdown, isolation. You know that thing, because obviously that's part of this. And you know, same as vaccination. If it's safe, may well be part of this. But I wish the message had been delivered as far as a community. Here's what we need to do. You know, isolate. As far as individually, I want you to assume that you're going to get this virus. And and so you can do everything in your power to improve your health. So when you get it, your response is as, you know, as mild as possible. But it's the polar opposite. And that's what drives me crazy. Because that also then affects all the other health issues that you and me and every other first responder on the planet sees take lives every single day. So, you know, we have more mentally fragile, more obese men and women now after this year in some communities because of that suppression of, you know, the underlying health issues element and therefore more deaths than we would have had if you posted the, the message of uh, ownership of your own health. Yeah, no, I, I, I tell you, it's, it was a really weird thing here. Like, so when we, obviously when we, when we went into lockdown the first time, everybody kind of, because nobody could do anything apart from, yeah, right, you have two hours of exercise a day. All of a sudden, everybody started running. And it's like loads of people started running and loads of people started sea swimming. Like, obviously, we're surrounded by sea. And like, I'll, like, so at the moment, our sea temperature is nine degrees Celsius. Oof. So it's not warm. No. Yeah, it's proper <laughs> cold. It's proper cold. Um, but there are still people who started swimming in lockdown who are still doing it. And it's insane. And it's awesome. Like there are so many more people cycling. There are so many more people running. There are so many more people swimming. It's, and it, it's one of the genuine positive things that I think came out of lockdown. Like there's just loads of people who are like all of a sudden just doing more physical activity spending like so they're out cycling or they're out running or they're just going for walks or 
that, I, mean, I mean, we have some really, really, really beautiful kind of walks around the island. We have some really impressive cliffs and, and like we have some really, really lovely beaches. I mean, obviously, first lockdown was kind of end of March, end of March through April and into May. So actually, the weather wasn't too, too bad. Uh, obviously, the weather's a bit worse now and it's a bit colder. But but still, it's like there are more people out doing stuff. And I feel like as a community, we've taken that and kind of gone, right, well, let's get fitter. Let's do more stuff. And it's like less people are going to the supermarket to buy food. So they're using uh, like they're using delivery service, but we've got quite a lot of farms here. So actually the what's like people are getting quality produce, which is kind of, which is grown here or imported, but it's real food and it's not, it's not ready meals or anything like that. Like it seems like more people are maybe eating better. I mean, just from what I've seen, I might be, it's just the things that I see and the way that I'm eating now. Um, like it seems like I, I feel like that message has kind of got through to people and actually we're, we're doing fairly well. Excellent. Cause I think that's a, that's a very important part, excuse me, a very important, very important part. Um, of this conversation it's not one or the other like you said it's not left or right and that's what divides people it's that middle ground uh, yeah. yes we have to think about slowing the spread but we also have to think about making people as resilient as possible so that if and when you get it you have the highest chance of not just survival but of having a very mild reaction to it in the first place yeah no yeah I, yeah completely agree and also just a fitter a fitter population even regardless of covid is just it's better for everybody um if you're if you're fitter you're genuinely or, or generally happier um because you've you've had some endorphins through your body like you're i find all the people like or most people who are fairly active they're happy people like all of my surfing mates who don't have children so they can surf whenever they want um he says uh, through like, his teeth <laughs> yeah no 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 I, do, I love i really do love my son he's the best thing that's ever happened to me i do miss surfing though um <laughs> like like all of my like all of my surfing friends they're just the happiest people they really are and that's like and like when i like when i left like so when i left the army and, I, and then when i joined the fire service and um, so i had no spare time job like when i first got back i had no spare time job i was living at my mum's um my best mate um, was a customer. Like, well, still is. He's a customs officer. Um, so we were both working shifts, and it was just like, "What we're going to do today?" Oh, okay, well, let's have a brew, and then uh, should we go surfing? Yeah, sounds good. And we were surfing like pretty much every day. I have never been happier because it was genuinely hard. Like, because it's genuinely hard work. So you're doing loads of physical exercise. Surfing is fun, and we were doing it every day. I was genuinely like, I was, I was super happy, and it's like what we should like why can't we do more of that yeah well the other element of this and i think this is you you're a perfect example of what i'm about to say so you know we talk about um being the sheepdogs in our community you know being the protectors well i think another part of the whole obesity conversation is your ability to protect your community your country you know whatever it is your children so from an island that was actually occupied by the Nazis, a fitter, stronger, more resilient population is a greater deterrent to an invader, a criminal, you know, whatever it is as well. So that's another part of the conversation that's often left out is your ability to literally physically protect your community. Oh, uh, yeah, um, I completely agree. It's the, certainly when you look at um, 
I'm going to obviously I don't want to slag anything off and I don't want this taken the wrong way, but it's like like a lot of line of duty deaths for your guys is heart attacks. Um, and it's like we don't really see that very often. But then I mean I think that's more because we are like we've got a, a very fit service because again a lot of them play sport. Uh, we've got quite a lot of gym rats as well. They absolutely love it. Um, and then, but then also it's like, because we're fitness tested every year, it's, it's making sure that we're there and that, and that we're strong enough to do our job. And, but we all take it really seriously as well. It's like, we all know, I mean, the amount of times that I have to, I don't know, like use all of my strength to rescue, to rescue a casualty is, I mean, they are, if we're being honest, it's very, it's fairly few and far between. But I need to know that at the drop of a hat, I am able to smash my body into absolute, like literally smash myself as hard as I can to rescue that person because I'm that, I'm that person's only hope. I know that sounds really cliche. And if anyone from work hears me say that, I'm going to get absolutely torn apart on the mess table. But it's a genuine, like it's a genuine truth. And I genuinely believe, and I'm, well, I know that certainly the majority of my service all agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100, percent and I think that's it. There are definitely, you know, elements that that again, it's an environment. It's what I talk about all the time. It's an environment. You set up a, an environment for your people to thrive, or you set up an environment to destroy them. And and the, the American Fire Service, obviously, we've got you know a lot of our society, you know, especially now, they shut down all the healthy outlets, all the gyms, but they kept the fast food. You know, yeah, that's crazy. and all that stuff. That. No, it's insane. Absolute <laughs> bullshit. So, you know, you're, that's an environment for people to get fat and unhealthy. And then you create yeah. a, a fire service for 56 hour work weeks where these men and women truly are, because we do the EMS as well. Um, where, you know, they're running like 24 hours straight. You might see your bunk for a bit, but a lot of these inner city departments, including where I worked, you know, you're getting out, your ass handed to you every third day for 10, 20, 30 years. So, you know, but then there's also no fitness standards. Once you pass and you get into a department, um, I've, I haven't, I've still yet to see a firefighter that mandates a fire department that mandates an annual standard. And if you don't meet it, then, you know, there's, there's obviously time to, to get to that point. But if you never, you know, if you don't get back up there and you refuse to put the work in, that there's a, a punitive side, you know, so we're not held to a standard. So once we get in, you see a deterioration. So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. We're expected to do things from the first day to the very last day before we retire. And if we're not able to do it, there's there's ownership of the individual and there's also ownership of the department to create that environment so that the men and women in the first responder professions can be the most effective at their job. Yeah, no, it's the, I mean, I mean, we're really lucky because I mean, I have, I have so much time to train um, and like it's, it's scheduled into our work period. Like, I mean, we train every day um, and we've got allocated gym time in our, um, like in our working period because, oh, sorry, in our work schedule, because it's like you guys are expected to be, you, you guys are expected to be this fit. So we've given you time to work on your fitness and I get to do that at work, obviously jobs depending. Um, but also we are lucky because we're not, like, because we're not like, I mean, if you take Soho in London, I mean, Soho runs 4,000 jobs a year or something, whatever it is. And that's just fires because obviously they don't do ambulance stuff. Like, you don't have time to train. You're just, you're just out. Like, you're out. You turn up to work 
and you're on jobs and you're job after job after job after job. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love, I love it when we're busy because I love doing my job. Uh, but we're thankfully in a place where I can train and I have to, because we've got so much kit and I have, and we all have to be current on it. Um, it's yeah, we are, we're just really, really lucky. Um, but also because we're not at job after job, after job, after job. Um, so like, again, take Soho, the guys are at fires all the time. We're not at fires all the time, but just because I live in Guernsey, like fire's not less hot because it's in Guernsey. <laughs> it's like the dangers are still there. The dangers are still exactly the same as any metropolitan station. It's just, we go to less of them which you can argue is even more dangerous because we're not going to fires and getting the experience of being inside and like working in that environment. Obviously we can train as much as we can, but I mean, I mean, you'll know as, as anybody does, it's like filling something full of filling something full of smoke or going to like hot fire training and like, so lighting some wooden boards is completely different to going into a house which is full of furniture which is on fire it's a completely different thing absolutely um and it's so yeah there's there's always kind of that i mean i mean mean, we're just very very lucky that we have the time to train and we take training really seriously um obviously some of the guys like to have a whinge occasionally so like when you're doing (laughs) hazmat like hazmat lectures or something god but it's but that's that's an international whinge though i haven't met a person yet that you know gets gets excited at a hazmat lecture god um but yeah uh i mean obviously it's and like it's it's good for me now so i mean i got promoted last year so i'm so i'm now really kind of in like training the guys is my like it's that's part of my role and actually and i love it like i love training people it's it's one of the it's one of the things I just love doing. So like, I'm one of the first aid instructors for, for the service. I'm like, I love it. And I love doing that. And now that I get to make that as part of my role to basically to, uh, to mentor and progress, progress the guys either through like whether they want to go for promotion or whether they want to go for um, like a, a specialist role, so like a breathing apparatus instructor or a RTC instructor. So uh, yeah, RTC road traffic collisions for anyone who doesn't know. That's a car crash. Um, like if they want to do that, or they want to become a first aid instructor, or they want to work at like they want to be a turntable ladder commander or something like that. It it allows me to push them. Like I can now help them and push them forward into that and make them better in the way that they want to be. And like I, I'm just really glad that i can now do that yeah no it's it's fantastic it really is now i want to i want to um transition to one more area before we do some closing questions you'd mentioned about uh, a documentary on mental health and being part of that whole discussion uh yeah so um yeah so i got involved in a documentary run by my friend so he was a rifleman um uh, so he was part of a regiment called the rifles uh he got out and he runs a, uh, so he runs a photography business now. Um, he's also a prison officer, so he does that in spare time. Uh, so he did a documentary called Man Down, um, and it's basically about m- uh, men's mental health. Because um, obviously a big phrase that we always used was, was man up. So he wanted to kind of break that. Um, and he, uh, it's 
free on YouTube now um, because of the pandemic. He's basically released it so everyone can watch it. Um, and it focuses all of people in Guernsey. Um, so I'm in it. Uh, there's a big kind of talk about post-traumatic stress um, with someone I know from the military. Then uh, there's other, uh, but then it goes through all the other things as well. So it's like, certainly as first responders and military, everybody, I feel that everybody is really, really focused on post-traumatic stress. Uh, and that, don't get me wrong. I completely understand that post-traumatic stress is a thing and I've seen it and it is awful. Um, but I feel that as emergency service workers and certainly for the military, everybody kind of looks at post-traumatic stress as like, right, that's, that's the mental illness you're going to get. Like, that's what, you're going to have like and there is so many other things like anxiety um survivor's guilt um like just to name a couple i mean i could keep going you can just name so many and it's it's like they kind of get brushed over a little bit if you actually look at the like if you actually look at the figures like um so i the royal british legion which is um it's not like the va i'm trying to think what it's like um, but basically, it's like a charity organisation which looks after veterans and serving soldiers. Um, they put me through a mental health first aid course, which honestly, if you ever get a chance to do a course like that, um, certainly if you're a first responder or you're in the military, if you're offered that, go do it. Because it will, basically, we were going through all the issues that people will deal with. And it's like anxiety is the, like it's like 60% of all of the, mental health issue or it's, it's a ridiculous figure. I can't remember the exact figure. I've got it in a book somewhere, but it's, it's such a large like portion of mental health, of the mental health issues suffered in the British military. And yet I feel everybody is just like, and I'm not saying that post-traumatic stress isn't a thing. And I'm not saying it's not important. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't focus on it because it genuinely is. And it is, it is a awful disease. And I've seen, I've had far too many friends take their own lives from it. Um, but it's the like there's more to mental health and mental fitness than one thing. And I, I really, really want everybody to kind of get out and like and try and understand it a little bit better. Because um, I, I never really thought about it. Like when I went on this mental health first aid course, I was genuinely sat there like, right, I'm going to learn about PTSD. That's what I'm going to learn about. That's everything that I'm going to talk about. And thankfully we didn't. It was like really kind of opened opened the door into like wow like there's lots of people are going to suffer with different things and like it's yeah i like i really 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 want that to be pushed because i just even i mean we are so much better and certainly i know my service is extremely good at it um like we have a really really good kind of program of keep like, i it's not an official program, but I think everybody is switched on to mental health enough that we, we have no problem in like, if we have a bad job, like none of the guys are like, nobody's worried. Like if we sat around the mess table and someone will just go, yeah, I really struggled with that. Like, that was awful. And actually nobody, like there is absolutely no kind of like, Oh yeah, well you've just been a bit of a pussy. Get on with it. Yeah. No like, that's never, I, I've, I've never seen, I've never seen it. Not in my service. Certainly not recently in my service, maybe with some of the really, really old and bold, but like now it's just, I'm really, and I'm really glad we're like that. Um, but I've seen it with other services where it's generally, it's like, well, if you can't deal with this, you shouldn't be doing the job. 
And it's like, well, no, no, no. He's an absolutely incredible worker at whatever role you're doing. I, you shouldn't see this much trauma. Like even for here, like, I, like even like we don't run, as I said before, like we're not, we're not uber busy station or anything, but we still see a lot of pretty horrendous things. And just because like, just because it's spaced out, I, I still see more trauma than like, I probably see more trauma in a year than any average person will ever see in a lifetime. Like, and, and like, I mean, ridiculous. And that's the same with the paramedics, the same with the coppers. It's the same with everyone. Like, the human brain is not engineered to deal with that many traumatic incidents without a way to, to fix it. Um, and I think, I, I think we just need a bit, I just wish everyone had a bit more understanding of it. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it really. So no, just, no, no, you, you're not rambling at all. No. And I agree hundred percent because that, this journey I've been on the last four or so years, you know, I've, I've learned, I mean, I, I'm, I look at this position I'm in now as a student and I get to speak with all these amazing people and, you know, the PTSD thing was like, oh, it's what you see, you know? And, and then as, as I've gone on, I'm like, no, there's moral injury. There's like you said, anxiety, depression, and also a huge amount of the people that I've had on the show that literally either attempted to take their own lives and they survived that attempt for whatever reason or, you know, were finally stopped at the very, very last moment, the common denominator is also childhood trauma. So the stuff that you had in your bag before you even threw on a uniform and put a badge on your chest. So there, there, it's not, you know, people say, oh, it's complicated. It's not complicated. It's like you said, it's trauma. It's an, it's a, a massing trauma, but that trauma necessarily isn't coming from this profession. And conversely, if you address the trauma that you've had, there's post-traumatic growth where you become more resilient. So, you know, I always see it as, as uh, in the book I wrote, I talk about my back injury. Post-back injury, when I figured out what was going on, I did all the rehab and foundation training and chiropractic, I was a better version of myself than I was before I hurt my back. And it's no different with a mental injury. But that, you know, that injury or, you know, that trauma, whatever it is, manifests in so many different ways. Oh, completely. Yeah, I completely agree. It's... um. I, I, it's why I keep I really really want people to go out on like and try and or just try and understand mental health because when you realise that if you if you work through something and you become better at it like it's only going to be it's only going to add to your like and it's going to make you a better person so where we had the original kind of thought just like oh yeah well you, you shouldn't be doing the job it's like actually this person is like seen something terrible, kind of struggled with it, has now fixed it, and now they're able to deal with that situation better. And I, I, I just don't understand why certain people don't think like that. But yeah, but but I think I am to to be an optimist. I am seeing a push. And again, I'm in an echo chamber. I have a lot of people on the show. You know, a lot of people that I'm friends with are very connected with that. They're 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 counselors. They're first responders that are in peer support groups. So, you know, I, but I think it is radiating out, but we're still unpacking it it's the same way as, you know, in CrossFit. I've done that for 14 years. What we were coaching or being told, you know, as far as movement um, 
cues 10 years ago is completely different to now because now we're finally understanding okay this is how the human body's supposed to move and you know we're learning from gymnasts on how to do handstand walks not you know steve that took his level one crossfit course <laughs> you know so yeah there's there's a <laughs> yeah. there's an element of you know it, it is a growth thing it is us we're, we're peeling back those layers of the onion but yeah it is it is complex it's not complicated but it is complex as far as you have to look at the individual pretty much from birth through to where they are now versus oh you were at the grenfell fire that's what you why you've got ptsd yeah i completely agree all right so i want to transition now to some closing questions so i can let you go um the first one i love to ask is there a book that you love to recommend to people it can be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different uh Thankfully, I did some. I did some thinking as you were going through closing questions <laughs> of your podcasts. Um, yeah, so I started reading this set of books. Um, they're not really well known. Um, it's about policing in the 1970s in Greater Manchester. Um, they're fictional books. There's some really, really un-PC stuff in them, but they are honestly some of the funniest books I've ever read. Um, so uh, the author is called Charlie Owen. Um, and the books are called Horses Arse, Foxtrot Oscar, Bravo Jubilee, and Two Tribes, I think is the last one. And it's these four books about policing in Greater Manchester in the 70s. And it's honestly, uh, I started reading them when I went to training school. And I was obviously, because I had to fly into the UK for training school. Um, and I was just sat there laughing so hard on this plane reading this book that everybody was looking at me like I was deranged. <laughs> um, it's, they're really, really, really funny. But like, uh, but again, they tackle, they, they tackle some really, really horrible issues. So like obviously the things that police officers see and everything else. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's really, they're really, really good. So yeah. Um, Charlie Owen, horse's ass. Definitely. Beautiful. I've never heard that mentioned before. So I'm definitely going to look that up. It is very good. Fantastic. All right. Well then, um, uh, obviously the other question is movie or documentary so first i want to make sure we we uh say again so man down as you said is available on youtube at the moment so man down yeah. documentary yeah definitely give that a watch um gaz papworth is the guy who does it he is and he is an absolute dude uh runs element i think it's uh element films i think it's called i'll double check that but it, yeah he's um yeah he's, he's done some really really good stuff he's just coming out with another one as well um called unmute um, but uh, I haven't seen it yet. I've, obviously, I was going to hopefully go to the premiere, which is, I think, in the next couple of weeks. So obviously, that's now not happening. But hopefully, I'll be able to go and see that. Beautiful. All right. Any other films or documentaries that you love? Uh, um, documentaries are really, really... I mean, this has probably already been said on your podcast at one point, but uh, Restrepo, I thought, was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah about OP Restrepo in the Corongol. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was hard hitting. Um, really, really good. Um, I think also shows, uh, also the follow on, uh, uh, battle company Corongol, I think it is. Um, that's a, yeah, just seeing the guys when they come back and the mental health issues they've had from that, uh, like that's, I mean, Sebastian Junger is an absolute geezer. So, um, I, anything that he does is really, really good, but yeah, really enjoyed that. Uh, and then films yeah films 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 i'm just a shawshank redemption fan sorry it's just too good 
It's amazing. It's just my favorite film ever. Just, just awesome. So if you ever come to the US, um, there is uh, a, a prison in Ohio called the Ohio Reformatory, which is the prison they shot that in. And they built a new prison. So the old one they just left and it's now a museum. So you can actually go walk around. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Yeah, I need to do that. It, it was amazing. It's amazing. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah, yeah Sebastian's actually coming on the show. He's got a new book, uh, Freedom, I think it's called, which is the follow-up to try. Oh, no way. So he's going to come back on oh, awesome. um, probably like April time. So, yeah, hopefully you get to hear another one with him. Yeah, that'd be mega. Beautiful. All right. Well, then, next question. Is there a person you recommend coming on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Yeah. Um, I spoke to him yesterday because I was like, because I wanted to ask him the question to make sure he was happy that I said this. Um, so it's a guy called Gaz Walsh. Um, so he set up, so he was, uh, he was part of one para, um, which is now uh, UK SFSG. Uh, so special forces support group. Um, they're, I think the closest thing that America has to it is the Ranger regiment, uh, 75th Ranger regiment. Um, just with lots more money. Um, <laughs> and he's basically, <laughs> He's created a so he, uh, so he started off. He created a um, apparel company um, called the Cine Eaters Guild, um, and what it's basically got a ethos behind the company, which is you are your actions. I'm gonna hate that I said that, um, but it's a it's real. Like I love the ethos of it, and there are lots and lots of emergency services and military and basically people who want to take on bird like the burden of service to make their communities better so he's created this discord like he's created a discord server which has got everybody on that like, um so there's a few of us on it actually there's quite quite a lot of people on it but like we sit there and share everything so it's like i'm massively into growing so i talk about growing and small holding we've got um quite like really high level crossfit athletes who will and crossfit instructors so we're swapping workouts all the time um it's just so many so many things and actually the community that's been built is absolutely incredible and then it's always it's all these people who just want to make like make their community better um in any way they can through service um but yeah, uh, so Gaz Walsh, the guy who runs it, he's yeah, he's a really interesting bloke. He's got some weird glasses, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, um, and uh, so he runs. Uh, he also runs a podcast called the Group Podcast now, um, where he talks to. So there's a couple of other vet, uh, veteran-owned companies, um, HR4K, which is basically a CrossFit box now, uh, and uh, Contact Coffee, which is. Um, yeah, it's a veteran coffee company, a British veteran coffee company. Um, and and they talk all the time. Um, but they have loads of, yeah, really, really interesting guy. Um, done some really cool things. So joined the army, got out of the army, went to university, then joined the army again when um, Afghan and Iraq started. So, and then went to SFSG. So spent a lot of time there. Um, yeah, really interesting guy. Beautiful. That no, sounds like a great, great guest. So let's make that happen. Thank you. I'll, I'll I'll give him a shout. He said he's going to listen to this after I after I let him know. So perfect. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure people know where to find you personally. What do you do to decompress? Um, I kind of I kind of do the firefighter thing of jack of all trades and master of none. Um, so uh, 
I like growing. Um, I'm not very good at growing. My wife is the growing master. She she knows everything, but I, I do the digging, which I don't mind doing. Um, uh, also, I surf. Oh, I surf whenever I can, which isn't very often now because obviously I've got the little one. But um, yeah, surfing is surfing always makes me happy. Uh, that and just kind of chilling out, chilling out and listening to music. Really, that's my that's my. Yeah, that's, that's my go-to's really. Awesome. I mean, you say growing, you're growing your own food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've just been kicked out of our old allotment because they've, they're have they changing the use of it, but we've we've just spent, uh, we've just got a new one and we've we've literally just started sorting it out and then obviously we're locked down so we can't go back to it now. But um, so for the next two weeks, um, we were going to start planting today, but hopefully if we can smash, smash this lockdown fairly early and get straight back and get the growing done yeah well i hope so i really do i'll be watching closely so if people want to reach out to you and you know uh you know like either message you or learn more about you know guernsey fire where are the best places to go um i'm gonna say this and probably upset somebody the states of guernsey website isn't very good at the moment um but if you certainly want to learn about guernsey fire service we're on facebook um just put in guernsey fire and rescue service and you'll find it um me i've i I am on facebook but i hardly ever i don't really use it anymore i stopped using it because i got a bit threaders with really idiotic people making really idiotic using it but i'm on instagram as sa1743 instagram makes me happy i get to see the things that i like looking at um so if anyone wants to see me there you can look at my very average life beautiful yeah well mine's very average too so there we go <laughs> mostly pictures of me and my son but beautiful awesome um but yeah that's it fantastic well pete i want to say thank you so much like i said it's uh you know your your life story on its own is you know is, is a very powerful and interesting story especially you know some of the the perspectives you've given us in in the military and in the fire service specifically on Guer- on guernsey However, I think the the COVID story is also very powerful and and to me very um, inspiring. I think it, I think it fosters optimism. Like you know, you we can there are elements that we can control, and you know I think the community element of us banding together rather than fighting against each other is another big takeaway from this. As far as us kind of pushing through this issue that we're all experiencing and and getting back to true normal life again. No, I completely agree, mate. It's the uh, the community thing here is is really what I think it's probably the main thing. It's the main thing that's kind of pushed us forward into where we are, and it's and it's really refreshing because certainly before before this, if you'd asked me what the community spirit in Guernsey was, I'd have just told you it's it's just as divided as everywhere else, where you've just got left and right, and if you're not in one camp, then in, then you're in the other, and I it's just not like it's just not true and like just because someone's got an opinion on one thing like it doesn't need to align like you don't need to perfectly align with each other that's like we're human beings like we learn from we learn from differences of opinion and i I think that the quicker we get the quicker we get to that and stop like instead of fighting each other and just being like well i'm right and you're wrong instead of going how can we move forward as a community and how can we create the best place like i'm only renting I'm only renting this. I I'm, I want to make this better for my son, like, and I want to make the world a better place for my son. Like, that's the. I, I just want 
I, I, I just want more people to think like that. And like, let's not worry about who's right and who's wrong. Over, well, let's not just not just be divided by just because you believe one certain thing. Like, I probably agree with eighty percent of what you of, of what you think. And there's just a couple of things that I don't agree with, but that's fine. We're allowed to do that. We're only renting this place, so I want to I want to make it better and give it to him. Yeah.